Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, on our last podcast, we finished our panel discussions of the time Marlowe finally meets Kurt, and that's in Joseph Conrad's novella, Heart of Darkness. Now, however, we didn't have time to end our discussion of Kurt's, and to be honest, there is even more we can discuss concerning Marlowe's view of Kurt's. Now, so for today's program, I want to discuss Marlowe's lead into and his description of the death of Kurt's. Now, uh, I, I really think we could have probably two or three more programs, so I know we have to cut this short. But I do want to make a quick correction. I was listening to our last podcast this morning, and I did say that the manager would have shot the mistress had she stepped onto the steamer. And actually, it was the Russian or the Man of Patches. And that is in my book, in the Barnes & Noble book. It's page 106. And so uh, I, I have to make sure that I'm always telling the truth. So anyway, uh, it was actually the Russian who wanted to shoot the mistress. And of course, if you understand the Russian, he, he was uh, a devotee of Kurt's. And he was probably jealous of the mistress anyway, so he probably would have liked to have killed her a long time ago. Anyway, well, for today's program, I want to go back to Marlowe's discussion with the Russian, or we could call him the Harlequin, or as uh, even Conrad calls him, the Man of Patches. Now, in this section, uh, the reason why I wanted to come back to it is I, after we taped our last two programs, I went back and read it again. And this is a book, to all of our listeners out there, this is a book you can read over and over and over again and still gain more and more from it. And uh, hopefully by the, by the end of these programs that uh, you won't be depressed by it, but you'll be encouraged by it. And I think there's some positive things even we can say, uh, and it may not be till the next program, but, uh, but anyway, we'll see how we do today. Now, one of the things that I realized when I went back and read this, uh, this part of the book, and again, we're starting in book three today, is that Marlowe is really conflicted about Kurtz. And, you know, we, we've talked in previous programs about it seemed like his big goal all the time was to get to Kurtz. And that's what he wanted. He just wanted to get there. He wanted to get there and see him and meet him. And, uh, and now, as we get into book three, it, it seems like he is kind of conflicted about him. Maybe he's not the best guy, but then maybe he is the best guy. And so uh, uh, I think the first thing that we run up against is this Russian in this book, in, in this book three, I should say. And uh, in, in this scene, I, th I think it's incredible writing, but it's in this scene uh, where Marlowe is, he's first mesmerized by the Russian. And at the top of this page, uh, for me, it's page 99. He states this about the Russian. He says he was improbable. He was inexplicable. He was bewildering. 
and he was an insoluble problem. <laughs> and then down towards the middle of the page, he says, I was seduced into something like admiration, like envy. Now, that's, that's the middle of the page. So, so, again, I thought about that again, and then I realized, uh, for all you listeners out there, remember, we are talking about Marlowe, really, this whole series, even though it's, it's uh, you know, there's, there's different books that we're using. But still, we're focusing on the character Marlowe. And then as we get into Lord Jim, you know, that's, uh, that's another time where Conrad uses Marlowe to tell us a story. So, so in some ways, it is Marlowe is revealing himself at the same time, and so so here, he's really fascinated with the Russian, and uh, you know this is all about the Russian. It's not even about Kurt yet, and the the thing is the reason why I think that that Marlowe mentions this. Remember, now this is this is a quote right from this page ninety-nine. It says, I was seduced into something like admiration, like envy. And this he's talking about the Russian. He says, Glamour urged him on, but glamour kept him unscathed. He surely wanted nothing from the wilderness but the space to breathe in and to push on through. His need was to exist, to move onwards at the greatest possible risk with the maximum of privation. And, and I think what, what uh, Conrad slips in here that we can't pass up, and this, it's really about Marlowe, is, is remember, we, we, we discussed his story on youth. And remember, Marlowe is just enamored by the strength of youth. And that's what I think this Russian means to him, is, and that's why he thinks he's, what, he's improbable, he's inexplicable, he's bewildering. You know, he was an insoluble problem. In other words, why was this young guy this Russian dressed in all these, this uh, like colored clothes. You know, uh, Conrad calls him the man in patches. Why was he dressed like that? And what was he doing in the wilderness? And the thing is, essentially what, what Marlowe is so impressed about, he survived the wilderness. He's out there, he survived. And of course, uh, uh, in some ways, I think we're led to believe the reason why he survives is because he's really taking care of Kurtz. And so, so I, I do think, um, you know, that's interesting. But it's like, it's like the Russian is the survivor in the wilderness, and you know that would just impress Marlowe, because you know he's he's got this strength strength of youth, and so. But then, at the very bottom of the page, of this first page of the book three, this again, this is in the Barnes and Noble book. Uh, listen to this. This is also what Marlowe says. He says, uh, he's talking about the Russian, but he says, I did not envy him his devotion to Kurtz, though. He had not meditated over it. It came to him, and he accepted it with a sort of eager fatalism. I must say that to me it appeared about the most dangerous thing in every way he had come upon so far. And so, so listen to this. So, so here he's just enamored with the Russian, but he's now also critical of the Russian because he's also critical of Kurtz. And again, you could miss that. And, and in some ways, uh, listeners, if I hadn't gone back and read this in a little more detail, I probably wouldn't have picked this up. But, but notice, this is, this is Marlowe the teacher, you know, and we... Uh, we, at the very beginning of, of the Heart of Darkness, you know, he's on the Nelly and he's sitting there like Buddha and he's like the teacher. 
And and notice he says that that the Russian was just so enamored with Kurtz that he hadn't meditated over what he was seeing. And uh, you know, in, in many ways, here at the college, we do talk to our students about the the process of Christian meditation. In other words, you have to not only read and study the Bible, but you have to meditate on it. You have to spend some time thinking it over in your mind. And uh, uh, here, the young Russian, you know, he survived the wilderness. I mean, he could have been, you know, killed by disease. He could have been killed by wild animals. He could have been killed by, you know, uh, the, uh, uh, the natives. Uh, and even in a few minutes, we're going to see he could have even been shot by Kurtz. But he survived. But still, he didn't do all he needed to do. He, he survived, but he didn't meditate over what was happening. Why didn't he think about what Kurtz was really doing? And he knows that Kurtz was stealing ivory. He knows that Kurtz was, you know, um, gaining control over the tribes. He knows that Kurtz wanted to be worshipped, but he said he didn't, he didn't meditate on it. He said, uh, Merlo says, he just accepted it with a sort of eager fatalism, like, well, I'm out here in the wilderness. I'm stuck out here. This is the way it's supposed to be. And, and so many of us in our lives, we, we think that. We, we think that we're stuck in our situation when maybe if we do a little more meditation, we do a little bit more, uh, you know, maybe even praying to God about it. And, uh, you know, we can get out of things. We don't have to just accept life the way it is or the way it comes at us. We can't be fatalists. You know, we can change our circumstances with the right help. And I think that's what, what actually Conrad, you know, is beginning to say there. And, and again, it, here at this point in this chapter 3, Marlowe is saying, hey, I think Kurtz is dangerous. And so, so uh, again, that, that doesn't necessarily come out or doesn't, unless you go back and read it and reread it. And, and I think some of the, way, the reason why it is for us is that you know Conrad wrote this book in a way to make it difficult. In other words, you really have to want to, you know, cut through the the tall grass or cut through the trees or, you know, uh, you know, fight through the fog and the and the wilderness to to understand it. But if you do that, it really becomes clear, you know, what's really going on. Now it's interesting. Marlowe Marlow now gives his his assessment of the relationship between. Well, the Russian or the Harlequin or, you know, the man in, in rags, um, you know, he um, or, or the man in patches. And you could, uh, that's the way Conrad says, says it. But he said, notice, uh, this is what he says at the bottom of page 99. It says, they had come together unavoidably, like two ships become near each other and lay rubbing sides at last. I suppose Kurtz wanted an audience because on a certain occasion, when encamped in the forest, they had talked all night, or more probably, Kurtz had talked. And now he quotes the Russian. He says, we talked of everything, he said, quite transported at the recollection. I forgot there was such a thing as sleep, says the Russian. The night did not seem to last an hour. Everything, everything, of love, too. And so, so they talked of everything. And I know that uh, sometimes I spend time with friends. I know that uh, you know sometimes my wife and I, you know, uh, we're we're getting ready to fall asleep, and sometimes we have some of our best conversations before falling asleep. 
And so, so uh, notice that the Russian says he talked of love, and, and listen to, to um, Marlowe's view of that. Marlowe was kind of bemused by all this, and he said, uh, he quotes himself here, he says, and he talked to you of love, I said, much amused. And so, so he's already, he's thinking, okay, what kind of guy is this, Kurtz? And then, of course, the Russian says, it isn't what you think, he cried almost passionately. It was in general. He made me see things, things. And so, uh, uh, you know, here Marlowe's saying, what do you mean? What's he talking to you about love for? And uh, it, it did seem, you know, uh, obviously then the, the Russian says he was talking about it, you know, in a general way. And so, so you can see that, that uh, you know, at this point, uh, Marlowe is, he just seems to me like he's, he's really a little bit conflicted about, you know, this Kurtz guy. Um, there's, there's also, a, I think, in this very beginning story with the Russian, there's some other things there that we need to understand what the, what the Russian reveals about him. And um, uh, very, it's, it's kind of towards the bottom of the page. Um, he's talking about Kurtz. He says, um, uh, he's talking about Kurtz and the Russian. He says, on the contrary, it appears their intercourse had been very much broken by various causes. He had, as he informed me, proudly managed to nurse Kurtz through two illnesses. He alluded to it as you would to some risky feat. But as a rule, Kurtz wandered alone in the far depths of the forest. And so, so there's a thing that we learn about Kurtz is, is obviously, you know, he used the Russian for what he needed. But then most of the time, this guy, Kurtz, was a loner. And notice it's, he says there he spent, uh, you know, most of his time far in the depths of the forest. And so if, if we look at the symbolism there, it, it, uh, Marlowe is really giving us the insight that Kurtz is spending more and more time in the depths of the darkness of the forest. And so, so uh, you know, that can happen to human beings as well, other human beings. I mean, these are, I mean, there's a lot of human beings who are not characters in the story, but there are a lot of people get really deep into darkness. And I think that's what uh, Conrad is trying to, to show everybody that reads this book. And he says, uh, uh, he goes on to say, very often coming to the station, I had to wait days and days before he would turn up. So here, you know, it, it's almost like he's putting off on the Russian his responsibilities at the station, and he's out while exploring, and actually he's hunting for ivory for himself. And the, the Russian goes on, he said, but he had no goods to trade with, with by that time, I objected. There was a good lot of cartridges left yet, he answered, looking away. To speak plainly, now this is Marlowe speaking, to speak plainly, he raided the country, I said. In other words, he was out stealing from the tribes. He was out, you know, hunting for this ivory. And he had to get, he really, Kurtz really, not Kurtz, Marlowe really worked to get uh, the Russian to admit that. And uh, all the, the Conrad says here is, well, the Russian nodded. He says, not alone, surely. He muttered something about the villages around the lakes. Kurtz got the tribe to follow him, did he? I suggested. And then he says, Marlowe says, he fidgeted a little. Notice that this Russian always wants to defend Kurtz. He says, they adored him, he said. The tone of these words were so extraordinary that I looked at him searchingly. 
It was curious, and this is Marlowe speaking, to see his mingled eagerness with reluctance, with reluctance to speak of Kurtz. The man filled his life, occupied his thoughts, swayed his emotions. What can you expect, he burst out. He's talking about the Russian. He came to them with thunder and lightning, you know, and they had never seen anything like it, and very terrible. He could be very terrible. You can't judge Mr. Kurtz as you would any ordinary man. No, no, no. Now, just to give you an idea, I don't mind telling you he wanted to shoot me too one day, but I don't judge him. And, and notice this, that Marlowe is just perplexed. He can't even grasp that the Russian says, well, he's not like any other man. And uh, Marlowe says, shoot you, I cried. <laughs> what for? Well, I had a small lot of ivory the chief of that village near my house gave me. You see, I used to shoot game for them. Well, he wanted it and wouldn't hear reason. He declared he would shoot me unless I gave him the ivory and then cleared out of the country because he could do so and had a fancy for it, and there was nothing on earth to prevent him from killing whom he jolly well pleased. And it was too true. And so so the thing is, if you understand the history and uh, behind you know the heart of darkness, it was true. You know, King Leopold set up all these men in these stations, and they could do anything they wanted. They could kill people and have no repercussions. And so, so this is what, what uh, Conrad's really talking about is the, the lawlessness that was going on in Africa at the time. You know, the, uh, this uh, company was there, you know, gaining the ivory. And so, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's really quite interesting there that here the Russian, he could have shot him and gotten away with it. And he said, but I'm not going to judge the man because he had great ideas. That's what the that's what the Russian thought, and I I think at this time, you know, in the story, Marlowe is still, uh, you know, pretty perplexed by all this. It says um, uh, the uh, Russian goes on to say he had his second illness, and and then afterwards I kept out of the way, but I didn't mind, and uh, here's why he didn't mind. The Russian says he was living for the most part in those villages on the lake. When he came down to the river, sometimes he would take to me. And sometimes it was better for me to be careful. This man suffered too much. And this is, this is probably the pivotal statement in this section. It says, he hated all this. This is the Russian talking about Kurtz. He hated all this, and somehow he couldn't get away. And uh, again, that's a profound statement by Conrad in this book, that sometimes, you know, all of us, and we all have our human nature to deal with, we all have you know, our, our uh, let's say, our uh, inner man to deal with. And there's sometimes we just get caught up in so many, let's say, problems and sins that somehow, even though we might hate it, sometimes we can't get away from it. And, uh, you know, that's, what it, that's the way it is with human nature, and this is what Conrad is talking about. But unfortunately, Conrad didn't even understand human nature the way we should, and uh, there is a way out of it. And uh, maybe we can talk about that later. It says, when I had a chance, I begged him to try and leave while there was time. I offered to go back with him. And he would say yes. And then he would remain, go off on another ivory hunt, disappear for weeks, forget himself amongst these people, forget himself, you know. 
And then listen to what Conrad says. No, I'm not, excuse me, not Conrad, but listen to what Marlowe says. I mean, obviously Conrad wrote it, but this is the character Marlowe. He said, why, he's mad, I said. And, uh, you know, so, so still at this point, I mean, if you listen to what I've been saying, Conrad, and not Conrad, but Marlowe is very conflicted about Kurtz. He's, he's mad. You know, what's he doing out here with, you know, out in all these villages, you know, spending with all the time with the, the, uh, the, you know, the indigenous people? And notice what the Russian says. He protested indignantly. Mr. Kurtz couldn't be mad. If I had heard him talk only two days ago, I wouldn't dare hint at such a thing. I had taken, you know, so this is what, what the, uh, the, the Russian said to Marlowe. Look, he said, if you had been out here two days ago and heard him talk, you, could, you would never say such a thing. And at, at this point, and we've talked about this in previous programs, is where uh, Marlowe discovers the heads on the poles, and then he begins to realize, wow, there is something really, really uh, disgusting going on here. And so, uh, 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 anyway, you know, that, that, that is uh, another thing, and I'm not going to go back through all that because we've already discussed that, uh, you know, in, in the previous programs. But, uh, you know, Kurtz really did, you know, want to have power over these uh, people, the people he was supposed to be going out to help civilize or to bring civilization to. Uh, he was actually in control of them. I want to skip over a few more pages now and uh, uh, just give you another view of how Marlowe is, is uh, reacting with the Russian about uh, Kurtz and how he's really kind of conflicted. Uh, this is a scene where the, um, the, uh, they were talking about the, uh, him being around the, the native people, and uh, the Russian is giving him a, di a discussion about how the, uh, the people would crawl to him and uh, this is this is what what uh, Marlow you know talks about here. He says they would crawl. I don't want to know anything of the ceremonies used when approaching Mr. Kurtz. I shouted, curious. This feeling that came over me that such details would be more intolerable than those heads drying on the stakes under Mr. Kurtz's windows. And so so he's referring back to those heads on the stakes, and he's saying, you mean he has people crawling to him? In worship, he said that's. He said that's even worse. He thinks, and he says, uh, uh, he said after that all, that was only a savage sight. While I seemed at one, at one bound to have been transported into some lightness region of subtle horrors, where pure, uncomplicated savagery was a positive relief, being something that had a right to exist, obviously in the sunshine. The young man looked at me with surprise. I suppose it did not occur to him that Mr. Kurtz was no idol of mine. He forgot I hadn't heard any of these splendid monologues on what was it, on love, justice, and conduct of life, or what if not. And so, so he's saying at this point, well, you know, he, he wouldn't worship Kurtz like these savages are. And he said, well, I guess maybe I didn't hear the monologues, so, uh, so maybe, uh, you know, he begins, I think, to think, well, maybe there's... Uh, he's not giving, uh, you know, Kurtz the benefit of the doubt. 
And then he goes down to the Russian and he tells the Russian, well, aren't you like Kurtz? And, and notice what the Russian says is, well, well, and you, I said, in other words, aren't you like Kurtz? He says, no, I'm a simple man. I have no great thoughts. I want nothing from anybody. How can you compare me to? His feelings were, were too much for speech and suddenly he broke down. I don't understand, he groaned. I've been doing my best to keep him alive. And that's enough. I had no hand in all this. I have no abilities. There hasn't been a drop of medicine or a mouthful of invalid food for months here. And so uh, invalid food means food for an ill person. So, so you can see that, uh, you know, that the Russian is just wanting to take care of this guy and because he feels like he's a nothing or a nobody. And it's, it's almost like he's trying to, to uh, you know, have Kurtz close to him so he can become like Kurtz. But then, you know, he's, he's just not. And uh, here Kurtz even wants to shoot him and, uh, you know, everything like that. And so, so it, it, is, it is kind of interesting that Kurtz, this, I'm not Kurtz, but Marlowe at this point, and I keep saying that this whole program, but Marlowe is, uh, is really conflicted about him. All right, I'm going to skip, skip through some more of this book. And again, we talked about when the mistress shows up and she was savage and superb and wide-eyed and magnificent. And uh, that really is, you know, a, a magnificent scene there. But then, uh, now we get to the point where, where Kurtz is dying. And, of course, this is where, um, you know, Marlowe does meet him for the first time. And he's, he's moaning about being sick. And then notice it says the manager, this is on page 107 in the Barnes & Noble, so it's a few pages down into book three. But it says the manager came out. He did me the honor to take me under the arm and lead me aside. He's very, very low, talking about Kurtz. He considered it necessary to sigh, but neglected to be consistently sorrowful. We have done all we could for him, haven't we? And so you can see that... Um, uh, you know, the manager could really care less if he dies. In fact, we know the manager is hoping he dies because the manager knows he wants his position. And so, uh, um, you know, the, 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 the real problem, I think, that what's really going on with the manager, he's finally gotten the, uh, the district closed to ivory collection. And so, so he's really moving against Kurtz. And so that's why they want Kurtz out of there. The manager wants him out of there so that he can, he can be the, the new guy, the new special guy. So, uh, so anyway, what, what ends up happening is Marlowe now tells the manager, he says, nevertheless, I think Mr. Kurtz is a remarkable man. And so, so you, you start to compare that with what I'd said previously in this program. You know, it's, it's like... He said he was mad. He said he was this. He said he was that. And he says, no. And he hasn't really spent a whole lot of time with him yet. And he says, I think he was a remarkable man. And of course now, um, what, what's kind of interesting, it says here, uh, Marlowe realizes that that was probably the dumbest thing he could have said to the manager. <laughs> and then he says, he realized now, Remember now, he's an employee. Marlowe is an employee of the company, just like Kurtz was, really. Uh, he's, just, he's just doing his, uh, you know, his duty on a ship. He, says, uh, he said, after the, the manager was not happy with what he said, he said, my hour of favor was over. 
I found myself lumped along with Kurtz as a partisan of methods for which the time was not ripe. I was unsound. Ah, but it was something to have at least a choice of nightmares. Now, I really think that's an interesting statement. And I brought up in uh, one of the programs, the last two programs, that that uh, that I believe that, that Conrad was trying to get us to see that that Marlowe began to see that himself that he himself was a lot like Kurtz, and um, you know I think this is another indication here, trying to prove my point. You notice I don't have any panel with me here today, so so I'm, they're going to have to listen to the program to see if we can get into to some more discussion of it. Uh, but but notice it said at least he had his choice of nightmares, and uh, you know that to me is a little bit but chilling in itself. But if, if you really think about it, um, all of your listeners out there, when you think about your own human nature, and, and we all need to deal with it, and that's that's a part of Christian conversion is to deal with your human nature. And uh, there is a positive way where you can, you know, overcome it. But uh, but notice what Marlowe says. He says, I had turned to the wilderness, really, and not to Kurtz, who I was ready to admit was as good as buried, and for a moment it seemed to me as if I also were buried in a vast grave of unspeakable secrets. I felt an intolerable weight oppressing my breast, the smell of the damp earth, the unseen presence of victorious corruption, the darkness of an impenetrable night. It says, The Russian tapped me on the soldier, and I heard him mumbling and stammering something about Brother Seaman, couldn't conceal knowledge of matters that would affect Mr. Kurtz's reputation. And he said, I waited, for evidently Mr. Kurtz was not in his grave. I suspect that for him, Mr. Kurtz was one of the immortals. And so, so uh, anyway, I, I think that goes to show that Kurtz and Marlowe, that, that Marlowe saw that they probably had some likenesses together. Well, unfortunately... That is all the time we have for today's program. Now, next time, I'll definitely give you my final thoughts on Kurtz and the Heart of Darkness. And now, in just a few weeks, we're going to begin our discussion of Lord Jim. And remember, we're also going to focus on Marlowe there. Now, so you may want to buy your copy of Lord Jim. Now, you can buy Lord Jim at Amazon.com. You may be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com. You may be also to find a copy in your local bookstore. And of course, you can also check your local library. So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. Tell me what you think about my views on human nature with uh, regarding Marlowe and Kurtz. You can also follow JBL on Twitter at jbliteratureone. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for just the best literature. So until next time. Keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.